What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast, your go-to source for all things movies. I am your host, Movie Mike, kicking things off in a big way in 2022, coming up my conversation with actor Sean Astin, who you know from Lord of the Rings, Rudy, The Goonies. He's on to talk about the 20th anniversary of Lord of the Rings. I also have my top five movies of the last year, and I'll give you some of the worst ones as well. A lot to cover on this brand new episode. So without any further ado, let's get started. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. About to get into my conversation with actor Sean Astin, who has been in some very iconic roles in his life. We're going to get into talking about The Lord of the Rings, where he plays Sam Wise, but that's only one of what I would say are his three major iconic roles, taking it back to his very first debut as a kid. He was a teenager in The Goonies. He played Mikey, and then he was everybody's favorite underdog in Rudy. And aside from movies, he was also recently in Stranger Things. He has such a wide range of work. I only wish I had more time to talk with him, but let's get into it. Let's talk to Sean Astin. Mike! How's it going? Good. Sorry if I'm tardy, man. Oh, you're all good. All right. On now with Sean Astin. It's so great to talk to you. I feel like I've been watching you my entire life, and now the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, celebrating his 20th anniversary. What does it feel like to be a part of a franchise that'll just be viewed for generations and generations to come? Mike, it's good to see you. Finally, our moment has come. Yes. What is it like to be part of the generation? It, it is, um, well, it just feels like there's something no one can ever take away from you that's really special, you know? I mean, I got a degree in, when I was I got my undergrad degree before making this movie, and that feeling when you're when they you hand you the diploma and, you know, you're wearing the cap and gown and you're like, man, this is, even if I totally fail in life, at least I accomplished this. That's what it feels like. <laughs> it feels like 
there is, you know, and it really capped off when it won the best picture, when uh, Return of the King won best picture in the, in 2004, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just felt like, you know, world culture will forever recognize this as an important contribution. And, and I have a, you know, meaningful part of it. And it just feels like, you know, I, immortality is that too? Yeah. Did I over I overreach gonna, with immortality. I didn't mean to overreach. You're going to live forever through this movie now. <laughs> well, until somebody figures out how to scrub all the digital bytes uh. from them. But but, uh, but no, yeah, it definitely it definitely feels like um, you know. Per, there's I don't know what permanence is in this world anymore. You know, my love for my wife and my children is permanent. Uh, you know, no matter what happens to me, no matter where I go, it's permanent. And there. There's something about inhabiting this world of Middle Earth that just transcends normal, normal. It just transcends normal. It's more, you know, it's like in uh, it's like in Spinal Tap. It's it's 11. It's 11. So what was the most grueling part about filming that movie? The first one being fat. I had to I was I was one hundred and twenty five hundred and thirty pounds. I just run the L.A. Marathon Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I get this. You know, you're going into place to read for Samwise Gamgee and I get the books out and I'm reading through it. And it's like, you know, fat, portly hobbits, but not two hundred. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know how long it took me to get in shape. So, of course, it's not very difficult to uh, when your weight goes up and down to get back into the fat mode. And I, I don't mean to be just, you know, disrespectful, but it's it's hard. It's really hard to be to be heavy. And in my life, my weight goes up and down in kind of like four to six month cycles. Mm-hmm. So six months of being, I'm not kidding this. You want to know that's what the hardest part was for me. I mean, the, the hours were hard, the, the, you know, carrying that stupid backpack around, you know, and chafing your neck and getting cut a loom fell on my head and knocked me out. I got a big cut on my foot. I, you know, there was, there was a lot of stuff, but like, I honestly think I suffered like real, I suffered, um, you know, I suffered. So with, with that, and I remember looking in the mirror and being like, Oh my God, I can't get back in shape right now. And at one point I just, my makeup artist and I, Jeremy and I, we went to the tennis club. There's like a tennis gym you could go to. And we got into it. We were like playing every day for a week or something. We were just having so much fun. And just that your neurons, when you wake up after not being physically active for a while. And then somebody from the news, the Wellington, whatever the the national newspaper is, took a picture of me coming out of the thing. This is before the internet. This is before we had really, the movies were known by anybody. And on the front page of the national newspaper is me like with a towel over my shoulder coming out of the gym. And when I, and my heart sank when I saw it and I walk into the set the next day and Peter Jackson is there with the paper open and he does the slow turn and he looks at me and I look at him and he's like, uh, they call candy lollies okay. in New Zealand. More lollies for Mr. Aston, please. <laughs> and he was only partly kidding. So like having to maintain fat Sam. And so like when Gollum says stupid fat hobbits, you know, I'm like, F you, dude. <laughs> so your book club at Fable is also celebrating the 20th anniversary of the movie. And you can go to fable.co slash Sean Aston to be a part of that. Have any of your original Lord of the Rings co-stars still not read the original books? Well, there's a major uh, publication today. I believe it's Vanity Fair uh, with my uh, colleague uh, Elijah Wood on it. And the the cap, the the banner is I still haven't read the books. Oh, <laughs> so he still hasn't. Did the whole so movie. I, so I feel now like I used to joke. And the, the amazing thing is he has a better command of the story than I do. And I've read him three times. Now, that's not a joke. He. I, I every time I read them. So here's this is this is the version I'm going to you can read it digitally on fable.co, but the, I'm going to read this one. And I was reading it on the plane back from Atlanta last night. 
And uh, uh, Billy Boyd, he he's going to I think he came in on, on our Zoom yesterday. I think he's going to join the journey. So I'm going to text Elijah after our interview and I'm just going to be like, hey, man, we're doing a chapter a week. Of course, he's going to be a new father for the second time. He'll probably be like, I'll read two words and fall asleep. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, it, what can I say? What can I say? He's um, I was always asking. I would finish. I read the books cover to cover three times while we were filming. And I didn't really enjoy it in the sense of like disappearing into the world. I was just like data mining. I was just plumbing it for like, what can I know? What can I know? And and I would I'd finish, you know, like a big chunk of it in beautiful New Zealand with the countryside, you know, the mountains and whatever. And we'd go to the set and I'd look at the script and I'd ask Elijah to explain what was happening. And he would know, he'd be like, well, this is what's going on. And he would. So, yeah, he gets a get out of jail free <laughs> card for me. Well, I appreciate the time. It was great to talk to you. Mike, you be well, brother. All right. Have a good one. Time to get into the list now of my top five movies of the last year for 2021. And when I put together this list, I don't want to focus completely on what I kind of lean towards of my favorite genre. But without a doubt, 2021 was the return of superhero movies in a genre that gets, you know, a lot of hate, a lot of criticism for there being so many movies. We didn't really get a whole lot in 2020, aside from Birds of Prey. And then at the end, Wonder Woman, there was no MCU movie in 2020. And everything was weird in 2020, aside from, you know, what was going on in the world, but how it affected movies is we were living in a world of things getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And it was really 2021 with Black Widow that was our first taste of like, all right, big movies are happening again. So looking at all the movies I've seen in the last year, which is over 50 doing this podcast, I tried to watch at least one new movie a week. So I looked at every single movie I watched in the last year, everything that was rated at least a four and above. From there, I ranked them of how much of an impact I think they'll go on to have later down the line, how much of me would want to go back and watch those movies, and in some cases, which am I excited to see continuations of in their franchises. And at number five, I put The Suicide Squad from James Gunn. It was one of the funnest experiences I had in the theaters this year because it was everything I was looking for but didn't really know I wanted in a superhero movie and I honestly felt that more people should have watched this movie a lot of the things surrounding it was like why are they already making another one of these that just made one a while ago called Suicide Squad that a bunch of people didn't like so I felt it already had a whole lot going against it without any reviews having to come out from the movie. But what really made the Suicide Squad memorable for me was all the characters in it from Harley Quinn to King Shark to Peacemaker to the big villain at the very end. They were all just so weird and unorthodox, but so fun to watch on the big screen. And I kind of love what this movie did for DC. It wasn't an answer to the Avengers. It wasn't an answer to anything else. It was really just being its own movie and kind of existing in its own world of, yes, these characters are kind of misfits, but also in a whole kind of world where all these movies are a little bit misfits. It was the right amount of action, the right amount of humor, and just so many things that were visual to my eye while watching this movie. It just made it visually appealing and kept my attention the entire time. So at number five, I'm going with The Suicide Squad. At number four was, first of all, a movie I had to go back and remember that it actually came out this year in 2021. But back in February, 
Judas and the Black Messiah was my favorite drama of the year. A story that's so powerful, and when you watch this movie, you kind of realize that all these actors are on a whole different level, and you almost immediately know why this kind of movie gets nominated for Oscars. It's a story about this guy named William O'Neill, and he infiltrates the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party in order to get close to the leader, in order to gain intelligence, after he was offered a plea deal by the FBI. Such a great premise. The casting was amazing in this movie. The cinematography was A+, because it really kind of puts you inside the action scenes in this movie. Daniel Kaluuya winning Best Supporting Actor was probably my favorite moment from the Oscars last year. So at number four, I'm going with Judas and the Black Messiah. At number three is a movie that I, and maybe a lot of other people felt this way, wasn't expecting to like as much as I did with a character I had no real knowledge about going into this movie, but afterwards completely loved. And at number three, it is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I've talked about on this podcast how moving into phase four of the MCU, it's a lot of getting introduced to new characters, getting introduced into new movies. And even for me as a lifelong Marvel fan, I find myself not as excited for it. And Shang-Chi was a title that was one that I wasn't that excited about going into it. But I realized while watching this movie, the overall plan they have here at Marvel and what they're trying to do. It is create new storylines, create new characters in worlds that they haven't explored yet. Something completely different. And I think that's what they did here with Shang-Chi. A new character who isn't your typical superhero You have your Asian lead, Asian director, and a predominantly Asian cast, which is why I really love this movie. And at the core of Shang-Chi, you take away all the superhero powers, you take away all the fighting and the action. It's a movie about family. It's a movie about your relationships with your parents, your mother, your father. And I really saw a new character get created with a really strong backstory. The superheroes that do the best are the ones that we can relate to in some way. People with stories like Spider-Man, and I think now with people like stories like Shang-Chi. It also opens up a whole new world when you can see yourself represented in a superhero like this, in a cast like this, to where a kid in that theater watching this movie finally sees somebody that looks like them up there kicking butt, being the hero in a movie, being funny, being charming. I think above all, this is an important movie for young kids to watch, to see a character that just doesn't look like Superman, just doesn't look like Batman. Superheroes can be anybody. So at number three, I'm going with Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. At number two is a movie I actually haven't had a chance to review on the podcast, but I'm glad that I ended up loving it so much that I had to put it on my top five movies because it was just so good, entertaining from start to finish, and a story that I had no idea about based on a true story, and it is King Richard, which is not your average sports drama. It is based on the life of Richard Williams, who is the father and coach of Venus and Serena Williams, and Richard is played by the one and only Will Smith. And when this movie was first announced, I thought it was interesting that they were making a movie about their dad and not about them. But upon watching it and getting the full story, you realize how much that works. It would have been a completely different movie. It was based on them. And what you're able to learn about their story through the eyes of their dad is how much he sacrificed to get them to where they are and how much drive he had behind not only seeing Venus and Serena be successful, but all of his daughters to be successful. The sacrifices he had to make how much he had to stick to 
you know, the entire plan that he saw for them. Like he had greatness on his mind. He always knew they were going to be champions and did not stop until they achieved that. It's a very powerful and motivating movie, but it also shows the flawed side of him, which I love because a lot of the times when you make a biopic or make a, you know, any kind of biographical film on somebody, you just show all the good things, maybe a little of the bad, but you don't really get that other side of them that maybe sometimes doesn't want to be seen, but it's important to the story. And a lot of kind of the downfalls of him being so driven and him, you know, kind of being so stubborn and set in his ways was really kind of shown in this movie to where, yes, you do need that to get your daughters to that level, but it can also take a toll on other parts of your your life, like your marriage, your relationships with their coaches and people, you know, trying to guide them and take them another level. And you're saying that you know more than them. So it's a lot more than him just being their dad and him being their coach, but also just struggling with, you know, what's going on inside of him. And I thought Will Smith did such a great job in this role to where I'm sure we'll see an Oscar nomination, if not possibly an Oscar win. I think it would be so fitting for Will Smith to win Best Actor for the first time because of this movie. In my heart right now, I think he should win. He truly made that movie great. If you haven't seen it yet, it's a definite must-see because at number two, it's King Richard. And then at number one, my top movie of 2021. If you haven't guessed it yet, well, yes, it is Spider-Man No Way Home. Don't mean to sound basic here, but you've listened to every capacity of me review the movie at this point. What else can I say about it? It was my favorite movie of the year, and I'm not sorry about that. So the only thing I have to say about it now that I haven't said before is the cultural impact this had on movies. And I think it's directors now getting upset about how successful this movie has been and how the only time people are going to the movie theaters now are to see superhero movies. But I see it completely different now. We go to the theaters to experience things like this. There was... Nothing else in recent history that gets people as excited to go to see a movie like this than Spider-Man No Way Home. The experience of seeing it with other people in a crowd with cheering. That's something that's very hard to create. And there are just a whole lot of factors that focus into how much these movies make. And that experience alone is going to get people out of their homes and into a movie theater. So I don't think that movies in any way are dying or that the art of film is in danger here. I just think the movies that are more captivating are obviously going to have big pops like this. But if a movie is really great, it will find its way to its audience. So you can't throw it at these superhero movies that maybe your movies aren't performing the way you expected them to. And the success of Spider-Man No Way Home doesn't take anything away from the movie you've created. So those are my final thoughts on that. And that is my top five Best movies of 2021, I'll come back and give some honorable mentions and the worst movies I saw last year right after this. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. 
I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. All right, let's get into some of the worst movies of 2021. The one at number one is the only one I didn't finish watching because it was so bad. And I think that is the equivalent now to walking out of a theater. I don't really see anybody now spending that much money on a movie ticket to walk out unless you just completely hate a movie. Like like that really takes a lot. And you know, if you walk out of a movie theater within 30 minutes, they can actually give you a refund. Don't know if you knew that or not, but they will give you a refund after that. It's all on you. But the one movie that I didn't finish watching is at number one on the list is the movie called Bliss. It had Owen Wilson and Salma Hayek. And I think this movie was on Amazon and it kind of suffers from taking a mediocre plot and putting two big name actors into the movie, throwing it on a streaming service and expecting it to do well. I don't think you can just throw two big actors in a movie anymore and have it do relatively well. This movie was so bad. I got about 30 minutes into it and it was completely checked out. So my number one worst movie of 2021 was Bliss. If you haven't even heard of it and you see it pop up on Amazon, do not waste your time. At number two was a movie I was so excited to see and it did not live up to my hype and it was Halloween Kills. I thought Michael Myers was completely not Michael Myers in that movie There's a lot of just mindless killing with no real storyline there to follow. A lot of plot holes overall, just kind of dumb. And I love Michael Myers. I love scary movies. I love slasher movies. That one was not it. At number three was The Conjuring 3. And The Conjuring, the original one, is one of my favorite paranormal slash exorcism movies. A movie that really scared me upon watching that one. Two was okay, but three was also borderline me not wanting to finish it. Very hard to make a trilogy, especially in horror. 
and they did not follow through on this one. So my number three worst movie of the year was The Conjuring 3. At number four, again, a movie that played onto my nostalgia and my urge to want to love it as much as I did as a kid or just kind of remembered back loving it as much as I did as a kid. But it is Space Jam 2, A New Legacy. For a movie about the Looney Tunes and basketball, it contained very little (laughs) Looney Tunes and basketball. Everything about this movie felt phoned in from LeBron James' performance to the voice acting to the animation to the writing, if there was any. And I get it. It was a movie made for kids. But even a movie made for kids has to have art, has to have a little substance. And if you're going to play off of a movie that came out in the 90s and now all those kids are adults, you have to kind of play to them too. And I don't know why I'm getting angry and talking with my hands because you can't see me doing this. But that is why I did not like Space Jam 2. And there was so much hype leading up to this one, it just fell flat. And number four is Space Jam 2. And then finally at number three is another part three of a movie and it is The Kissing Booth 3. I somehow made it to watch one and two. I don't know why I expected three to be any better. So many things that don't make sense in this movie. And I also get it here, probably not the target audience for these movies. But I remember watching movies like this when I was younger. The movies geared towards teens and tweens of my day. Again, at least had a little substance. Was very little in this one. So at number five was The Kissing Booth 3. Since that was the worst list, I decided to go in reverse order than I normally do because they're all movies you probably shouldn't spend any time watching, so it doesn't really matter where I rank them. But I did want to get back real quick before we get into the movie review is some honorable mentions of the best movies I saw last year. One that almost made the list was Cruella which was a movie I didn't get to watch in theaters. I watched it on Disney Plus, paid the 30 bucks for it, and had a really good time at home watching that movie. Even though it looked so big and cinematic, like it would fit perfectly on the big screen, the origin story of Cruella DeVille was unexpectedly really good. Emma Stone was fantastic. The wardrobe was fantastic. I really loved that movie from Disney. Honorable mention was Cruella. Another movie I wasn't expecting to love as much as I did was Tick, Tick, Boom with Andrew Garfield. The story about Jonathan Larson who created Rent, but really doesn't focus on that at all. Even though it is a musical, it's not just a random burst into song and dance for no reason. The story has a lot of substance to it. It deals more with Jonathan Larson and his anxieties around turning 30 and deciding whether or not this dream of being a famous playwright is really going to be a dream he's able to live out. So for me, also turning 30 in the past year, I thought that really resonated with me. And knowing that Andrew Garfield learned how to sing for this movie really made me love it even more. So that's an honorable mention. And then my final honorable mention is a movie called Pig starring Nicolas Cage, where he plays a truffle hunter who lives out in the middle of nowhere in Oregon in this shed and it's him and this pig who helps him find truffles in the forest which he sells to this other guy who is a supplier for restaurants and then one day his pig gets stolen and he's on a mission to get his pig back it's kind of like taken but with a pig and it sounds like such a bizarre premise for a movie that you realize like how could that even be good but it's a really great drama a movie that somehow I felt Nicolas Cage was born to play at this stage of his life. So there you go. Some movies not to watch and spend your time on. And then some other ones that you may have missed. 
I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Let's get into a spoiler-free movie review now. I want to talk about Don't Look Up on Netflix, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Timothy Chalamet, Meryl Streep, and a lot more actors. Before I get into this review, here's just a little bit of the trailer. I hear there's uh, something you don't like the looks of. We discovered a very large comet. Oh, good for you. It's headed directly towards Earth. This comet is what we call a planet killer. At this exact moment, I say we sit tight and assess. Sit tight and assess? Sit tight. And then assess. The sit tight part comes first, then you gotta digest it. That's the assessment period. So this was actually one of my most anticipated movies of December. So going into this, I was really wanting to like it. A movie with Leonardo DiCaprio as one of the leads, like how could it really be a bad movie? But also, time and time again, that worries me when there's so many A-list actors and a movie is just boasting, like look at all these people in this movie. You have Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Timothy Chalamet, Ariana Grande, Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, The list really goes on and on with cameos in this movie. And sometimes that's just like, hey, look at this movie. We have all these actors. How could it be a bad movie? And you pair that with the premise of this movie, which also just sounds like something I'd want to watch. It's about these two low-level astronomers who discover this comet. 
coming straight towards Earth. They're trying to tell the government and everybody that it's basically going to end in six months if we don't do anything. And that's the premise of the movie, directed by Adam McKay, who has done movies like Anchorman, The Other Guy, Step Brothers, The Big Short, Vice. So he is known for his comedy and satirical humor. So what happens in this movie is Leonardo DiCaprio is an astronomer at the University of Michigan working with Jennifer Lawrence, who is also an astronomer studying under him. And they discover this comment, go to try to tell the president. So they think this earth shattering news is going to really change the world, but it doesn't really do anything. So what do they do? They go leak it to the media. And then on comes the frenzy of how the American people and how the entire world react to this. So that's the surface level of this movie. But when you watch it further, dive into the overall bigger message, it's kind of a story about how our country is constantly divided, how we interpret information from scientists, how we interpret big news events. And it's really just a take on the state of the world, how everything gets politicized and how no matter the issue, we're probably going to argue it, even the end of the world. And it's a satirical look on that. So I think that part of the movie was interesting enough. But where I kind of got taken out of it is I felt like none of the actors really had their time to shine. You have all these A-list actors. But even Leonardo DiCaprio, I'm kind of surprised that he took this role because he really wasn't the Leonardo DiCaprio that I was expecting or the level of performance that I kind of know going into a movie that I'm going to get. I really didn't feel like... Him in that role really added much to the entire movie, aside from the fact that he was Leonardo DiCaprio. Jennifer Lawrence was okay, but I think her character overall didn't really fit her. Maybe just the comedic timing wasn't there. There was one reoccurring joke that I found funny, but other than that, didn't really love her character. Meryl Streep was fine, but I did feel her performance was just a little bit phoned in. She was playing the president of the United States, and I just felt like that character could have been so much bigger and bolder in this movie because it kind of gave me vibes and reminded me of Idiocracy, which is a movie that takes a look how society changes in the future. I felt like this movie was kind of in that similar realm, set in a distant future, but it didn't have that same charm as Idiocracy, didn't have that same comedic timing or overall cleverness that that movie had. I felt like the plot itself was bigger than the entire movie, and in order for it to work, I almost wanted it to be a little bit more silly, have a little bit more humor, but it kind of walked this line of like a drama, a satire, a dark comedy, and just overall trying to make a statement on the world. And they never really just combined together to make a great movie. And out of all the actors in the movie, the only one I felt that really owned their character, really got into this movie, really kind of made their role their own and shined in this was Jonah Hill. He played the son and the chief of staff to the president, and I thought he was perfect. I thought out of everybody, he had the best comedic role, the best comedic timing, and overall just the best character, and the only one I really cared to watch when they were on screen. So it being that I didn't love the overall development of this plot and the characters, I did like the story. I thought it was fun to explore that. I did like the story and seeing how a possible end of the world situation would take place and go down in modern times. So almost more so than I cared about everything else going on in the movie, visually, I was just wanting to see how that would play out. And so it could have been this movie, it could have been any other movie, but just seeing that play out on the big screen and what they do to try to stop this comment and just the overall what would happen in the world and in this country if this actually happened. 
that's really what kept me watching. So if I had to rate this movie, and this is a rare case in a movie that I was excited to see and was a little bit let down. It's in no way a bad movie. Like I wouldn't watch this and be like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. It just doesn't really live up to that expectation that I had set going into it. Maybe my bar was a little bit high. Very rare that I'm so pumped to see a movie and it not deliver. In a movie that I was expecting with this many A-list actors from the trailer, from the description of the movie, I was expecting an easy four and a half. It went down from that high expectation down to three out of five comets. And this is coming from somebody who loves disaster movies. I think it's an underrated genre, but this one just didn't quite do it for me. It's not the worst new thing you can watch right now, but a movie I was expecting to, you know, be up for a lot of awards, I don't think we'll see that with Don't Look Up. And the only real bright spot I see in this movie and other movies released on Netflix in the last year is that line is really getting just harder to see if something comes out on Netflix or it comes out in theaters. I think people are seeing them in different ways. And a movie like this, even though it didn't have a big theatrical release, a lot of people still watch it and we're talking about it. And it's proof to actors of any level. I mean, you have Leonardo DiCaprio doing a Netflix movie. It can be done. So overall, I think it's a solid move for Netflix to have this level of movie and continue to put out stuff like this. This one just didn't quite do it for me. And now it's time for the part of the podcast where I break down new movie trailers of titles coming to you soon in theaters, on streaming, on demand, all the things in a segment we call... It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer Park. Coming off of Spider-Man No Way Home, Marvel dropped the trailer to the new Doctor Strange movie. It is called Doctor Strange Into the Multiverse of Madness. The multiverse is alive and well, and they're exploring this in every single capacity. So let's take a look and listen to this trailer. I knew sooner or later you'd show up. I made mistakes. And people were hurt. I'm not here to talk about Westview. Then what are you here for? I need your help. It's what? What do you know about the multiverse? The greatest threat to our universe is you. Things just got out of hand. So this movie looks like it picks up right after Spider-Man No Way Home. It is Doctor Strange dealing with the effects that his spell cast. And at the very start of that trailer, you heard the voice of Wanda from WandaVision. So now Marvel is connecting all of the TV shows from Disney Plus back into the movies. And this is where I think things get interesting. I think the question I get a lot going into every Marvel movie especially with a sequel like this, is which ones do I need to watch leading up to this? And I think any good Marvel movie or really any movie in general, you should usually be able to go into it and within the first 20 minutes, at least be into the movie to where you understand what's going on in the thing you're watching. Like that's what a movie takes to be a movie. Like that you can't want, expect people to watch all these other things going into it. But I think, again, that's where Marvel plays into serving their fans and everybody like me, maybe like yourself, who do watch all these titles. It kind of is made more for you, and it's a little more exciting to get all the references. But going into this one, I don't think people are 
even as excited to go back and rewatch the first Doctor Strange or have watched WandaVision if you haven't, watch What If if you haven't, or even the last Spider-Man movie. Like, I think a lot of what Doctor Strange is writing now is the wave of Spider-Man as the lead into this movie. It's just why I'm excited about actually watching this movie. But I do love WandaVision in there because I think that was such a great TV show last year. And getting to see her now back on the big screen, I think it's going to be exciting because I felt like Wanda and Vision and the Avengers were so underrated that now that people know her story, know her powers, know what she is capable of, I can't wait to see that back in an MCU movie. So more so than Doctor Strange, I'm excited to see Wanda in this movie as the Scarlet Witch. And that movie comes out on May 6th, 2022. Next up in the trailer park is Uncharted, a movie that's based on a video game starring Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. Let's take a listen to this trailer. Hey, kid. A little young for a bartender, aren't you? A little old for prom, aren't you? Everything in here. Why the map? It's the biggest treasure that's never been found. Five billion easy. But it's just a story. I beg to differ. So it's a movie based on a video game, which are always hard to do. And it's a video game that I myself haven't played. I kind of got into video games probably in my early 20s. I stopped playing them. So the video game movies I'm more excited about are from, you know, the titles that I played as a kid. Sonic the Hedgehog, Mario Brothers, like those movies I get more excited about. But the great thing about Uncharted is it's an action game. And I feel that really transfers so well to a movie at this level. And this movie is actually a prequel to the video games, stars Tom Holland as a younger Drake, which you heard in that, and how he came to meet his friend in the video game, who was named Sully, played by Mark Wahlberg here. And I feel like sometimes studios just make movies and kind of throw it under the brand of a video game. And sometimes that feels like it's just kind of tacked on and it doesn't really add anything to the franchise. It doesn't really give anything back to the fans. Mark Wahlberg has kind of been a part of that before. He was in the movie Max Payne, which was based on a video game that people loved and an adaptation that really wasn't any good. But this movie comes out on February 18th. And what I'm really seeing here is Tom Holland on his path to become an all-out movie star, which... It is really hard to create a movie star in this day and age and the level that I think Tom Holland is capable of achieving. And he's done such a great job and the people around him, you know, helping him get his movies and pick his roles of not being typecast as just Spider-Man. I've already seen the range of his work in the last couple of years for movies like Cherry, Devil All the Time, and now doing an all out big action movie that's not a Marvel movie with this movie Uncharted. And it's so hard not to get typecast, especially when you play a character as well known as Spider-Man, but I think he's doing an amazing job at it. I think he is definitely one of the next A-list actors on the brink of that level of any movie he puts out, people are going to watch no matter what. So those are a couple movies to look out for this year. And that was this week's edition of Movie Minds Trailer Park. All right, that is the episode for this week. But before I hop out of here every single week, I give a shout out to a listener of the podcast, whether it's on Twitter, Instagram, or the most old school way, email me at moviemikeD at gmail.com. 
this week, I'm going over to Twitter, and this shout-out is for Ryan Gilmartin, who tweeted me and said, Cannot believe it's been two years. Absolutely love listening to your podcast Monday mornings. Just finished listening to the Spider-Man one. By far one of my favorites of yours. Keep killing it. P.S. Was finally able to rate you on Spotify. Five stars, of course. Appreciate you, Ryan, for listening and for leaving that rating. Wherever you're listening to this now, if you could take a few seconds and give it a rating, whether it be on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, hit those five stars if you can, write a quick little review. Always helps to keep the ship afloat here. Glad to be back in 2022. Hope you have a great first week back in the year. And until next week, later. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.